That's my boy right there. I tell you, if you knew just the miracle for him to come up here and to sing in front of you, but, but because Jesus lives and he's changed our hearts, Chris can get up here and can testify to that truth. And what a great song. What a great song. Thank you so much, Chris, for, uh, for what, you, what you do. I tell you what, y'all sound good. I, you know, I'm normally in the back. Thanks to Donna, too, for, for doing the media. You know, I grilled her pretty hard today. She almost walked out. I said, Donna, you got to keep them on time, you know. But, uh, but thanks, Donna, for, for back there doing that. And, you know, you don't get to hear the congregation like it sounds from from sitting here in, uh, in amongst all of y'all, but y'all sound, y'all sound really good. Well, it is a privilege to be able to come and to spend some time with you today and to, to share, and, and I am going to speak on Lee's topic matter, but, but last week and this week are not technically pastor approved, so this isn't like, this was his outline, he said, well, hey, will you preach on these things? It's just like, hey, you preach what God puts on your heart. I just happen to like to try to tie it in, and I think both of these topics try, uh, tie in. And today, I'll have to admit, today, I'm not really preaching from victory, but I'm preaching from understanding the victory and trying my best to claim the victory. And so, the topic today is, is finding a new normal. And so I thought we would have a little game. It's not really a game, but it's interactive. It's participatory. I've got some pictures that I'm going to put up, or Donna's going to put up on the screen, and they're descriptive. Now, some of them are from our country. Some of them are from other countries. But what I want you to do is, is I'll show you the picture. I'll give you a little brief explanation, and then you decide, hey, is it weird? You know, right would be normal. Left would be weird. So, uh, now listen, these are from the internet too, and so we know everything that we get from the internet is completely 100% reliable. So, you know, we're based upon all that, you know, y'all might, don't Google it, or if you Google it later and realize, well, this isn't true. But the first one, Donna, you want to show that picture? Okay. Now, what that is, is that's some kind of wicker basket thing and another little wicker basket, and those are black ants called bullet ants. And this is from the tr a tribe in the Amazon, the Satari Mari tribe. And what they do is they take these ants and they pack them in this little thing. And so for a young man to become a man, he must stick his hands inside these things and let them bite him for like 20 minutes or so. Uh, hold on, I'm not done. You don't know if it's really weird yet or not. So... Um, and, and he can do it about 20 times throughout the day in order to really, quote, be a man. And now, the reason why they're called bullet ants because literally they, the, their sting feels like you're getting hit with a bullet. So anybody think that's normal? Anybody think that's weird? Okay, weird. All right, the next. Okay, this is called bride kidnapping. Okay, and basically in Romania, there are still some places where if a young man, uh, Romanian gypsies, if a young man thinks, wow, this is the one, he just grabs her, okay? He takes off with her, and if she'll stay with him for three days, she'll become his wife. Normal? <laughs> Brother Bill likes that one. That's normal. That's normal. Anybody think that's weird? Okay, all right, the next one, okay, it's kind of hard to see, but that's a crowd of people, 
This guy's up on top of a temple. This is uh, in India somewhere. And that's a small child, an infant, that's being tossed off. It's called baby tossing. That's tossed off the temple. And now you can see in the left-hand corner, there's a blanket. And so they actually catch the baby. And so it's believed that um, it's a ritual known as baby tossing or baby throwing. It says, don't worry, they're not completely psychopaths. A baby's caught at the bottom in a large cloth. Um, and it's rituals believed to bring good luck and prosperity to the newborn baby. Now, anybody think that's normal? You think it's normal? Oh, weird. You're already going straight to the weird. <laughs> Have you tossed your grandkids, Susan? So, okay. All right. All right. Next. Okay, this is called finger cutting from the Dani tribe in Indonesia. And basically what they do to give an outward symbol of their inward mourning over losing a loved one is they cut tips of their fingers off. Normal? Pop, did you do that? See? See? Okay, I never knew where it was coming from. I always felt embarrassed to ask you what it was from, so no, he didn't do that. Anybody think that's weird? Okay, weird. All right, now, next. Okay, this is in America. Now, there are some customs that we have in America that other people think are weird, that are normal. Now, one observed that we would take and drive 16 hours to go visit family or a friend over the weekend. Now, anybody think that's normal? Most Americans probably think it's normal. Anybody think it's kind of weird? <laughs> is it normal and weird, Okay. All right, next. Now, in our country, we have a great place called Walmart. Now, Walmart, you can go buy toothpaste and a 12-gauge pump shotgun. You know, some people in other countries think it's a little weird that in one place you can go and not only buy ammo for your gun, but can buy, you know, household goods. Anybody think that's normal? Most Americans think that's normal. Anybody think it's weird? No, okay, all right. Now, also in America, we put a price for an item that you get, but the only problem is, is our price is not out-the-door price, is it? It's before tax. And so some people in other countries, the price tag that they see is the actual full price with tax and all. And some of other countries that come to America think it's a little weird that we don't include all that in there, that you have to pay tax on top of that. Anybody think that's normal? Now, y'all aren't even participating anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to give up on y'all. Hey, listen. Listen. I only had like 20 minutes last week, so at least that I can make it up this week. So the more you participate, the faster I'm going to preach. Anybody think that's normal? Okay. Anybody think it's weird that they don't include? I kind of think it's weird. Why can't you include it out the door price? So, all right. Next one. White teeth mania. Some, in our country, everybody, it's all about the teeth. I think it's crazy that we, oh, we do have some, I'm sorry. You, take, you must take good care of your teeth, absolutely. But, you know, we spend three or four or five or six thousand dollars on getting our teeth straight. But then also, we like to do this thing called whitening our teeth. And some people in other countries think it's a little weird that we spend so much, put so much emphasis on our teeth. Anybody think it's normal? Y'all are participating again. Normal? See, I really had little signs I want to make up a W and an N. I don't really want to make y'all do that. Anything is weird. It's weird that we spend so much money on our teeth. All right, 
And then the next one, prom. In our country, it's, it's it, now they call it now promposals. Is that what y'all call it? Prom, did I say it right? Promposals. That, that it, now it's all about the, all the rigmarole you go through. See, I already, I already think this one's weird, so I just I showed you my hand. But uh, that you go through all of this in order to ask a girl to go to the dance. So anybody think that's normal? Y'all, get on, anybody think it's weird? Yeah, yeah, y'all are weird, okay? Okay, it's, but you know, it's like, they really get into it too. Y'all should see some of the promposals. I guess, see, back in the day, it was the more you liked a girl, the bigger her mom thingy dingy was. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You remember that? Did you, you remember that, don't you, Paula? Yeah, you had the big mom and the little thing, so, all right, next. The American flag. It's interesting, I told Brian that we pledged, in America, it's all about the flag. You know, it's all about, we have parades with flags on it, you know. This isn't what somebody said, said, I worked a summer camp, and there was nothing funnier than watching the international counselors be totally weirded out by the flag ceremony we have every morning and evening. It says, you know, we, uh, five to seven camper color guards raise the flag and lower it, they salute it. It says the people recite the pledge, of allegiance to it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we turn our heads and they file out silently in the evening. So anybody, you know, we take seriously our flag. You know, we take seriously our country. Anybody think that's normal? Anybody think it's weird? See, anybody, nobody wants to say it's weird because we'd call you un-American, wouldn't we? Like, was that weird? Okay, okay. So, so isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that normal is so subjective, right? But yet we always seek to find normal. Normal is defined as this, usual, typical, or expected. And we often catch ourselves striving for normal. You know, the condi- the, or normalcy, the condition of being normal, or the state of it being usual, typical, or expected. You know, we also name it as, you know, business as usual, or the daily grind, or something like that. But yet, normal to one person is not necessarily normal to another person, but yet we try to seek normal we we and you know there's different places that we try to find normal we try to find normal in people sometimes you know in our relationships our family or our friends or our spouses you know we try to find uh normal in our places of where we work maybe where we work or where we go to school or where we used to call home you know or where we do call home now or where we grew up or those types of things or maybe even things maybe a job status or health or financial prosperity, or what we do day to day. We strive for normal. Anybody strive for normal? No? I strive for normal. You know, you actually could take a test online. I'm normal. I took a test online. I'm like 91% normal. So, you know, I feel good. You know, I'm just normal, you know? You know? I was worried a little bit, you know? I want Brian to take the test, because I don't know if he'll score as high as me, because it's also a competition, you know? But... But we try to find normal in people or in places or things. You know, the Israelites did the same thing. You know, they were in captivity over 400 years, but yet they began to find a new normal. And it was said of them that they outnumbered and were stronger than their captors. And so why do we try to find normal? What are some reasons that we seek to strive for normal? Maybe it's for comfort. 
that we find comfort in the daily routine, that we find peace in knowing that it's the same thing day after day after day, or we find security in that. We find safety in that. We find peace in striving for normal. But maybe, just maybe also, we strive for normal because normal seems easy. Matthew 7, 13 says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gate to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult. Only a few ever find it. And so I want to share with you tonight, my, or this morning, my struggles with trying to find normal. You know, and I catch myself in a season of time where things are changing. You know, my home, where we're at, our kids not being at home anymore, things are changing, and I try, I've caught myself struggling with who I am, that there are some pitfalls to striving for normal, especially when we find normal in people or we try to find normal in people or places or things. See, we can begin to wrap up our identity in these people or these places or these things. Who we are becomes centered in these areas. You know, it has been 16 years since I've lived at home, since I, what I call home, Texas, but many of you today would say, oh, he's a Texan. I'm really not a Texan anymore, am I? I've been out of Texas 13, 16 years. So I don't even remember now. So, but yet, you know, I what? I try to go back to that place of where I am, of my home, because it's normal there. You know, even now, I, I'm a dad. But yet, I'm really not the same dad that I was just a couple of years ago. Why? Because I no longer have children at home. And I'll be honest with you. Those of you that have kids outside of the home and realize the struggle it was from having kids in the home to not having kids in the home, and you didn't tell me anything about it, my feelings are a little hurt. <laughs> because it's hard. Is it not hard? And so you begin to wrap up your identity in, in these things that you do and the places that you go and the places that you stay and the activities that you do. And when those things change, it can really mess you up. See, we, not only that, we base our value on these people or places or things. And so when we experience success, you know, your kids are doing the right thing. You know, if you're a dad and your kids are doing the right thing, man, you feel good about yourself, right? But let your kid make a mistake. And if your identity is wrapped up in that, then you what? You feel like a failure. My kids made a mistake. I'm a failure. I'm a bad parent. You know, or, or it, if other people, you know, think you do something that wrong. If you experience failure from at work, you have a bad day at work, or you have a bad week at work, or your work lays you off, there's, there's a transition there, and your value is in that job, then when that's gone, you begin to what? Feel like a failure. Why? And the problem with putting our value in people and places and things is it's, everything is fluid, is it not? Everything is, is fluid. It's not the same. It changes all the time. Life changes at an incredibly fast rate. You know, there are people in this room that have experienced death recently. That will mess you up. You know, or you lose a job, or your children move out, or this happens or that happens, and your value is being found in these places. It can mess you up. What is accepted today? And things change, right? Do things change? Okay, Donna, show that one picture. Anybody know who that is? This is John's brother, Michael. Michael Bolton. John had hair like this at one time. <laughs> now, that is called what? A what? A mullet. Who had a mullet in here? Raise your hand. Yeah, I know you did, Wade. 
You had a mullet. No, there's no other guys in this room that had a mullet. Steve Paler, you didn't have a mullet? Really? Wow. Okay, now, hey, today, listen, hold up. Today, you know what that's called? A flow. Am I lying? You watch the baseball players. It's a flow, and they just tuck it all back behind their hat, and it's big bushy there. All right, well, what about this? <laughs> Janice, you had one, didn't you? Yeah, you did. Did she get it up there? That's a bouffant, right? Who had a bouffant in here? Beehive. Raise your hand. Be proud of that. Yeah. None of you ladies on this whole side, except for Janice, had a bouffant. The one time, <laughs> those might make it back too. But isn't it not funny? Things that were so popular, things that were so accepted, things that were so normal. Now, I mean, would any of you women really be caught wearing your hair like this? Okay. Any, any of you guys be caught? I really kind of wish mullets would come back a little bit, because you know. But, but no, we wouldn't want. Everything is fluid. Things change, and when we when these people, places, and things go awry or get changed or get removed, then in our value, whether we know it or not, is placed in those things, man, it can lead to doubt. It can lead to worry. It can lead to confusion. It can lead to you begin to asking yourself, you know, God, what is going on? What is this all about? Who am I really? Because here's the deal. I don't know about y'all, but for me, I'm, I easily place my, my normal, who I am, in these other areas. I'll never forget when I went from living at home to, to sharing life with my wife. Now, it was wonderful, but for the longest time, I felt a little weird. Because what? Things had changed. You know, I remember moving from Texas to Louisiana. You know, even though I had my whole family there and all that, but because of my place of where I lived had changed, half the time, I, went, I spent three years there, and the whole time people kept saying, you're not from here, are you? <laughs> you know, you're not from here. You know, you're not, now some of them were very friendly. And so, you know, I can begin to, can anybody relate to me today? You know, that it is so easy, it's so easy, and people to change and to put our value, to put who we are in things that are so fluid, like people and places and things that are here today that are gone tomorrow. And so people that know they matter to God must put their value in who God says we is. And that's the things that God says that we are. And that's the things that I want to share today, that people who know they matter to God, first of all, must look up to God. I love Psalm 121. It says, look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made what? The heaven and the earth, that we should turn our eyes off ourselves, off our present situations and circumstances, off our places and our position, off our feelings and emotions, off our limitations and weaknesses, and put our eyes on Jesus. Let's read on in Psalm 121. It says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. See, Jesus 
is enough for us to focus on. He is worthy of my time, of my attention, of where I put my focus above and beyond the things that he's called me to, the stations in life that he has me at. See, he has the power. He made heaven and earth. How much more power can you get? I don't think you can get any more power, can you? He sees me. It says he watches over you, that he knows my limits. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my frailties. He knows where I'm at. He knows the situation that I'm in, the circumstances that I'm in. Nothing's caught him by surprise. He watches over me. He knows what's going on in my life. And then it says what? He never slumbers. He never misses anything. You know, I never have to worry about God missing something that's going on in my life. God, did you see that my child moved out of the house? God, did you see that no, I don't live in, in Fort Worth, Texas anymore? God, did you know that now I'm older than I really claim to say that I am? You know, God, did you know all those things? Yes, he never slumbers. He never sleeps. Nothing misses his attention. He knows everything. And it says what? That he keeps you from all harm. He protects me when I don't understand my situation, when I'm worried about what's going on in my life, when I have questions and I have doubt. I just need to know that he's going to protect me, that he's going to lead me, that he's going to care for me. But not only that is I need to stay put. I love reading. Anybody read Oswald Chambers? I love reading Oswald Chambers. He has a wonderful devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. And, and one week, as I was asking the Lord to, to show me the direction he'd want to go, is he brought this passage where Jesus was talking with the disciples, and he was about to ascend. And he says, stay here. And the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And God really pressed upon my heart that even though I might be in a situation or circumstance that I don't understand, that I feel difficult, that has changed quicker than I want it to change. And it's changing all the time. You know, I don't know whether it's I'm getting older or I'm just realizing more and more and more that things are changing so quickly. About the time I get my grips on this, it's changed into something else now. When I put my value, my worth, my mattering on those things, it can rock me easy in the heat. And so what happens? As soon as I get in an uncomfortable situation, I want to flee. I want to run. And, you know, I'm sure the disciples, the persecution was still going on. And Jesus says, stay put. Stay here. And so where were they when the Holy Spirit came upon them? They were still in Jerusalem. Were they not? They were still in the midst of that difficult situation. And so when we catch ourselves putting our value, how we, how we view ourselves, our matter, on other things that change, even in the midst of that, we need to stay exactly where we are to allow God to minister to us. We need to stay in our present situation or condition. We need to quit trying to get out of it, to struggle against it, because it's like struggling against quicksand, is it not? We seem to keep sinking, and we need to allow God to minister to us right where we are in the condition that we're in. See, my condition in my life right now has not caught God by surprise. But the more I struggle to try to get out of it, because I want the easy button, you know, y'all realize there's no easy button, right? Even though Office Depot says there's, there's, it doesn't work, you can tap it all day long, there's no easy button. Well, I guess there is a relationship with God, but still, you have to stay in the situation and allow God to minister to you. And then not only that, is you have to get grounded. 
that I, I've realized that I must stay grounded in my reason for being created. See, I am convinced that I'm an integral part of God's redemptive plan. 1 Peter 2, verse 5 says it like this, And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What, what's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that pleases God. See, I'm not here for myself. I'm here as part of God's redemptive plan. All of us, as God's chosen people, are part of his redemptive plan, and so I must get my eyes off of my present situation and circumstances and get my eyes on God because he is working his plan. And so I need to realize my position in him. Psalm 139 says it like this. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. See, my value, me mattering, is not in my position or my place or my circumstances. My mattering is in can is that even a word mattering i matter because of who god says i am the creator of heaven and earth said he knew me when he knit me in my mother's womb i have value to him you have value to him he knows your innermost workings he has numbered your days before even one of them began does that not sound like someone who is intimately involved in my life that's why I must get my eyes off myself and my own situation and put them upon him. But also to know that I'm taken care of. Matthew 6 says, don't worry about, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot ser not serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink, enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in the barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Hmm. Your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. You know, I always wondered why he started off that passage talking about his care for us with no one can serve two masters. And what I believe he's telling me is, is Bob, when you're so worried about your present situation and circumstance, your eyes are completely off me. You're, you're not useless, but you're not being who you've, I've called you to be. 
that you need to trust me that just like I care for the flowers of the field and just like I care for the birds of the air, I'm going to much more care for you. There's nothing that you've ever needed that I've not provided for you. And can we not all say that? That everything that we've ever needed, God's provided for? Absolutely we can. So in the situation that I'm in now, if I'm focused on people or places or things and getting my value there, I'm missing out what God wants to do in my life. And so I need to trust him that he's got me in that situation or that place or in that circumstance to do a work that he wants to do and that he's going to take care of me. He's going to provide for me. So the less I worry about me, the better off I'm going to be. And that's so hard to do. But then I also need to realize, I need to get a grip on, that I'm on mission with God. 1 Peter 2.9 says it like this, But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy... Now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. See, I need to remember that I'm not a dad. God has given me the opportunity to be a father, but that's not who I am. I'm a child of God on mission with God. God caused me, God says he chose me. That I wasn't picked last for his team. That I'm in value to him. That I'm to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood. That I'm to be literally offering sacrifices and sacram sacraments on behalf of people that can't do it for themselves. You know what? Have you, ever seen a, uh, have you ever seen a priest at a gas station? No? Is anybody? Hey, we got one in Thomasville. Do we not? Absolutely. He pumps gas every day. Go by there. I holler him all the time. But you know what he is? He's a priest. Why? Because he knows God's put him there to be a part of people's lives and to pray for them, to minister to them, to be hope and grace and mercy and hopefully charge them the cheapest gas in Thomasville. Amen? Oh, I didn't get any help on that. So, but, but and that's what we try to understand is, is that I, when I put my value and the things that God's called me to in, in being a dad or living in a certain place or doing a certain thing, I'm missing the point of what I'm called to be. I'm called to be on mission with God. And so for the season that he gives me the opportunity to be a father, I'm going to be the best father I can. Now, when that's over and I need to be a father of grown-up kids, then I need to be a grown-up and realize God's got another ministry for me. And got another opportunity so I can spend all my time worrying about why is this, why not all this. Or I can be on mission with God. Because he chose me. He chose you. And that's why we must get our value in this. Are we living lives that matter to God? You know, what a great song. Um, listen to this. It says, my hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood. And righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but what? Holy trust in Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, and blood support me in the whelming flood. 
when earthly prop gives, gives way, then he is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray together. Father, you truly are the same yesterday, today, and forever.